0: Well, it is so good to see each and every one of you. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Tommy and I'm one of the pastors here at Joy. I'd like to take a moment to welcome those of you who are joining us online and say thank you to all of you for joining us live right here in St. Cloud. Today we are starting a new series called DNA and what we're going to be doing is taking a few weeks and digging into some things that makes Joy. Joy. And today, we are going to be specifically talking about the Sunday morning experience. Now, we are all aware of what's going to be happening in a rather quick period of time of what's going to be taking place Sunday afternoon, and that's football. Anyone excited for the football season to come back? All right. Looking forward to some some more Minneapolis miracles. And I'm seeing some people going, "Uh, uh." ah, ah, Uh, so to start things off today, I wanted to share with you a story of something that happened to me in regards to an NFL football game. Uh, it happened back in, uh, on Monday, December 20th, 2010. And on that day, everyone in Minnesota was talking about football because the Vikings were playing the Chicago Bears that evening. And there was a little bit more buzz than usual about this game because just a few weeks before, the Metrodome's roof collapsed under the weight of the snow, forcing the Vikings to finish out the regular season at TCF Bank Stadium, which is the home of the Gophers. When I found out that this had taken place, I immediately called my brother-in-law and I said, Hey, Joe, we need to get tickets to this game. It's going to be an amazing experience. And he's like, okay. He completely agreed. And then we proceeded to getting tickets for the game. So that Monday, again, December 20th, 2010, was a very significant day for me. I left town a little early to hopefully beat traffic, but there was no beating the weather that was taking place that evening. Uh, It was probably the second worst road conditions that I've personally ever driven in, uh, only being able to go about 40 miles an hour all the way to the cities. And I got to my brother-in-law safely, thank God, and we got dressed for the game. So for this game, because of the weather, what I wore was, um, you know, a little, little different than usual. Uh, I had boots on, and I put on my Articat snowmobile suit, the full bibs, the jacket. I had my Articat gloves on. I put a face mask on, a beanie hat on top of my face mask, and then I had a Bears jersey draping the whole thing. So I looked very, very awesome. And some of you looked at me like, a Bears jersey? Um, Angela's family are huge Bears fans. Uh, One of her brothers actually has the Chicago Bears C tattooed on his arm. Uh, I sometimes wonder if he wants to change that to something else over the years, but they're very dedicated Bears fans, so uh, I married into that. So we end up going to the game, and as we are walking there, there's several thousand people standing outside the main gate. And we look at our ticket, and we see that uh, our ticket doesn't say that we're supposed to go through the main gate. We're supposed to go through gate H. Now, if you look at a map, of TCF Bank Stadium, you are not going to find Gate H. That's because it's so small. So we pass where everyone else is to go somewhere where we, th- we think we're supposed to be, and the whole time wondering, are we where we're supposed to be? I don't know if you've ever been there before, but that's where we were at. And so we're standing there with about 10 other people, and then all of a sudden, the door opens, and they say, all right, you guys can come on in. We're like, perfect. We look at each other. We say, we were in the right spot. We were in the right spot. So we get into the stadium, and for us, the most important thing was not to find where the bathrooms were or to go get something to eat. We wanted to find our seats. So we go to the section that we're sitting in, and we talk to the person that, you know, is standing there to make sure only the right people sit in that section. And so they say, yep, you can go on in and go down towards the bottom." So. We go down towards the bottom, and there's another person standing there and asked to see our tickets. So we give her our tickets, and she says, all right, you can go down there and then take take your seat. So we go down there, and we're sitting on metal bleachers. And we're like, this is going to be great. You know, no backrest, no anything. Uh, You're probably aware of, of sitting in places similar to that. And especially because it was so cold, that metal, and, you know, that's just terrible. But as far as our feet were concerned, our feet were not on concrete, they weren't on metal, they weren't on wood or plastic, our feet were on the grass. And when you're at a football game, if your feet are on the grass, that means you're actually on the football field in case you didn't know. And that is exactly where our seats were. We were sitting right at the back of the end zone on the field, seeing everything. And we looked at each other kind of like, are we supposed to be here? We thought, yes, we are supposed to be here. So the teams come out and, you know, they're warming up. And my brother-in-law is pointing out to me all the different players and who they are. And I mainly just recognize the the more famous ones and then the numbers of all the rest of them. Some of you can probably relate to me. And uh, eventually, a guy by the name of Ragnar comes over and visits us. And he was especially attracted to us because we were wearing Bears gear and we were talking to him hanging out and then we started talking a little trash and he said if the Bears win I'm going to stick your heads in a snowbank and like okay okay well we're going to you know and just going back and forth he was really nice and then uh, he he moved on and went to harass some more fans I'm sure and then a guy that you probably are aware of as well, named Roger Goodell, uh, walked by, and we said, Hey, Roger! And he came over and he talked to us. If you don't know who Roger is, uh, he is the commissioner of the NFL, so he is in charge of everything NFL. There's no one, no one else's name at the top, which means he is also blamed for all the bad decisions that the NFL makes And so we were talking with him, and he asked us, you know, I suppose that you guys would want this game to be played in Chicago. And we told him, well, it would be warmer there than it is here. And that was a lot of fun. He went on his way. If you ever meet Roger, you could probably bring up that story, and he would remember because it was a significant experience for him. So the game ends up being played, which is always helpful, and it was lots of fun. Uh, Throughout the game, I ended up feeling different things like pressure hitting me in the back, and I thought it was someone kind of nudging me. But before I turned around, I realized that Vikings fans were throwing snowballs at me uh, because... I was wearing a Bears jersey and because they did not like where I I was sitting for the game. And so I thought, don't turn around because if you turn around, you're going to get hit in the face. So I just stayed focused on the game and and they eventually stopped because who wants to throw snowballs the whole entire game? And uh, at some point, the Bears were driving, they were, they were in the red zone, getting ready to score, and it was on our end zone. So we were getting all excited, and Jay Cutler throws the ball, it was an incomplete pass, there was no surprise. It rolls out the back of the end zone, and I immediately go from my seat and I charge on to more of the grass that's on the field. And I get down on my knees and I slide across the ground because it's frozen in snow. And I grab the football, uh, you know, like it was a cheeseburger. And I, and I get back and I'm standing there and I'm holding this NFL game-used football. And it wasn't one that Grandpa talked about getting in 1958 where you don't really know for sure if it is or not. And I actually have a witness, my brother-in-law, that knows this was a game-used football. And I was stoked. I was almost shaking, and not because it was so cold at that point. I thought, oh, my goodness, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen to people. And about the time, my brother-in-law are talking to each other, and Joe was like, I don't understand why I didn't go and get the football. And I was like, well, I don't care. It's mine now, you know. And all of a sudden, a guy in a very official-type uniform that looks like he works for the NFL, comes up to me, he says, I need that football. I said, no, you don't. You, you got all kinds of footballs. So go get another one. You know, they might be deflated um, and, uh, you know, and all this stuff. And so he takes the football from me and I said, I have kids and I don't know why I thought that would help me. And it, and I think the guy was just like, what? You know, and then just goes away. And so I don't have my football anymore, which is, which is incredibly disappointing to me. But the game overall was a great experience. Uh, Devin Hester, the Bears uh, return specialist, ended up breaking a record that night for most returns in the NFL. And he broke it heading towards the end zone that we were at. So it's like, ah! You know, we're jumping up and down, all that type of stuff. It actually also ended up being Brett Favre's last ever football game. We got to see him throw his last passes. We got to see him get sacked and thrown to the grass, which they say was like concrete because the field did not have warmers underneath it because it's a college football stadium. And uh, when he hit the grass that day, it was, it was not good. So we saw his concussion, saw him dragged off the field, or he probably walked off. But we saw his last game ever played. Uh, the Bears actually clinched the NFC North Championship that game. Uh, they won 40-14. to It was just an incredible experience. But one of my highlights, like my biggest highlights, was the fact that I made it on ESPN which was one of my dreams. This is me in the circle. (laughs) And uh, the Bears had just scored a touchdown, so I'm jumping and celebrating. And Angela saw this for me, and she's like, you made it on ESPN. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so uh, this was my Facebook profile for for the rest of that season until the Bears lost, and then I I changed that very quickly. But overall, it was an amazing experience for me. And it was something that while the night was actually going on, I thought to myself, this is going to be something I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Now, chances are you also have some experiences like that. Experiences that you've held on to for years. Experiences that every chance you have to talk about and share about, you do. And your friend's like, oh, yes, I heard that one. I heard that one. And the reasons why we hold on to those experiences is, I've really come to two reasons as to why we do that. One it's to remind us that life has been good. It's appropriate to hold on to things that remind you that life is good, that life is good. The other reason why we hold on to experiences like that is they serve as a motivation for us to continue going through this this journey of life because sometimes it's difficult and sometimes we just need that motivation to keep us going forward, right? Right? Now, I have a question for you with with all that in mind. And I want you to think about it for a moment. Did you know that we can also have experiences like that when it comes to God? When it comes to God. We can also experience who He is in a very real, incredible way. And we can share those experiences for years to come. You see, we can talk about God and we can also talk about you know when we caught our first fish or when we got the car keys for the first time how many of you remember the first time you got the car keys some of you remember the first time you stole the car keys <laughs> we could talk about our first date or we could talk about that moment when we graduated I remember when I got my high school diploma, the principal's like, congratulations, and I said, congratulations, and I walked across, and I thought, that's one of those times I'm not supposed to say the same thing back as they just said to me, and I thought, they're probably thinking, there goes a winner, there goes a winner. We talk about first dates, we talk about, you know, when he or she said I do, that moment will be something we remember for the rest of our lives. Maybe it's the promotion at work or maybe it's when we see our kids for the first time or grandkids for the first time, which is something I'm waiting to experience for quite a few years. But I'm told that's very special. We have all these moments we hold on to, but we can also have those moments when it comes to God. Now, when I read the Bible, and chances are you read the Bible too, I see all kinds of people that have all these different experiences with God. I think of Jacob, and Jacob experienced God while he was along along a river. And then we have Moses, and he experienced God while he's standing in the middle of the desert next to a bush. And then we have Peter. Peter was an amazing person and he experienced God while he was in a boat several times, several times. We have Mary and Martha. They experienced God when they were standing outside their brother's tomb of all places. And we have Saul. Saul experienced God while he was walking down the middle of a road and at that point, he didn't even like Jesus, Jesus was like a thorn in his side at that point. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and yet while he was in the middle of the road, he experienced who God was. So when I take into account of all of those stories, I realize that they're human just like I am, and they have faults and weaknesses just like I do. And if they could experience God, then maybe that means I can experience God too. And if I can experience God, then I'm going to give you some good news today. All of you most certainly can experience God. Now, we could go out into the middle of the desert and stand next to a bush like Moses and maybe experience God. I'm sure there's some fellas that have told their wives, I'm going to go in the fishing boat and have some time with God, you know, like Peter did. Chances are we don't go to the grave of a loved one expecting to experience God, like Mary and Martha did. Most often when it comes to you and I, we experience God in the context of a place called church. That's just kind of how things are, are, are done these days. And this really shouldn't come to a surprise to us because in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus himself said this, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So what Jesus is talking about here is when two or three of us get together, and we get together for the sole purpose of honoring him or worshiping him or, or prayer or or just getting together to maybe do a Bible study, which Uh, even even in regards to a small group. I was a part of a beanbag small group. And we could experience God when we did that because we really didn't get together to just do beanbags. We got together to enjoy each other and also experience God. And as a result, we can also throw some beanbags and hopefully beat the person that we're playing against. We can experience God when we get together. But here's the thing. Haven't we all been at a church service and then gone home and felt like nothing really happened? Or maybe you were at some big meeting like Joyce Myers was coming to town and we go there and it's like, you know, she just kind of talked about everything we just heard recently. We sometimes get together and nothing changes, nothing happens. And that creates some questions because if... God is always there when two or three of us come together, and there's more than two or three of us here, then why is it that I didn't feel anything? Why isn't that nothing changed in me? And I want to let you know that it oftentimes is because of a deficiency on our end. You see, we have a responsibility to experience God when we come together. If you come as a consumer on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever it is you come to church, and I mean consumer as in you're not on the dream team at that point. When you come as a consumer and we come in and we sit down in our chairs, we're just like, well, I guess I'm here. Chances are if you keep that attitude, you will leave that experience like, well, I guess I was there. And you go on your merry way and we wonder why didn't god show up for us if you come as a provider meaning you're coming there to hopefully create environments where people can experience god and you come as a provider and you come with the attitude of just like oh i'm here again oh i just want to sit down and hi nice to meet you so happy you're here at joy oh if we come with that attitude We can think to ourselves that God is going to do something special in spite of us. But I want to let you know, God chooses to do something special through us. So if we come with the attitude, even though we're serving of, then we're probably not going to experience God in a way God would love to do for us some of the responsibility is on our end. It isn't just enough to have two or three or several hundred of us together. So um, there are some things that then as a result that we need to focus on. So Tommy, if we can't just come together and we can't just sit in our seat, then what is it that we need to focus on? So thankfully, there's some moments in Scripture that can help us out with that. And it's found in Colossians chapter 3, which is where we're going to camp out today. It starts out with this. It says, Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. So what is the message? The message is really simple, that God created a perfect world and a perfect environment for man, and man and God were able to interact and have relation with each other and have a connection with each other. Because of a decision that man made, sin entered into the world, but sin also entered into the heart and mind of man, creating a distance or a separation between God and his perfect creation and humankind. From that point on, man has been in search of trying to find ways to connect itself with God or connect itself with a God. Jesus ends up coming thousands of years later as the one and only way, the one and only possibility connect humankind, this fallen humankind, this sinful humankind with the one and only God. And by putting your trust and your faith in him and by accepting his gift of forgiveness and the fact that he paid the penalty for all our mistakes, we can then have a relationship again with God. That's the simple message of Christ. So what we're being told is, is, is to let that prevail. Let that be the most important thing. Let the word, meaning the Bible, be the most important thing in your environment. Where we struggle in many churches, even in the western hemisphere, is the fact that the word of God isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is about what he said or what she said or what is actually politically correct in the moment. I sometimes wonder, like, can you decide how we are supposed to refer to you? Because one, one day we refer to a group of people as this, and then the other day we refer to, and what's politically correct constantly changes, doesn't it? And we don't know what we're supposed to say or not say or where we're supposed to walk or not walk. And if the church is dictated by that, doesn't that create a very unstable environment? So the word of God needs to remain uh, first. But here's the thing, it also should be first in our life. We can walk into an environment, a church, Joy Christian Center, that's founded on the Bible and base in the Bible and everything that we do, but if it's not that way in our hearts, we increase the possibility of us being in this environment and leaving and not really feeling anything because God isn't first in our life. He isn't the moral compass in our life. Maybe a question we need to ask ourselves is, what is our moral compass? So many people today talk about they're just living out their truth, their truth. They're just going to do life their way. Well, what happens when one person's way of life and another person's way of life collide? Who then is right if it's only left up to our opinions? Some people will say the courts, the courts decide. Well, what happens when their truth and their truth doesn't align with the judge's truth? Then whose truth do you go by? Well, then you go by the jury. You can see the dilemma that ends up taking place. So in a church environment, we need to make sure that God's word is first and foremost. It continues. It says this, give it plenty of room in your lives. What what exactly is this? supposed to mean. It means give God's word room to work in your life. Give it the chance to impact you and change you and transform you. Otherwise, all you're going to do is make a seat warm and then you're going to leave. Oftentimes, years ago, when I would come to church, and a pastor would start talking about Peter walking on water. I would do a thing that chances are some of you do, and I would just naturally assume, yep, we're going to talk about faith and living in faith and keeping your eyes on Jesus. And I could almost list out all of the points the pastor was going to say, and then we're going to pray, and then everyone's going to go. Or we're going to talk a story, you know, share on a story today about a miracle that Jesus did for someone who who was, crippled and, and, you know, hurting and, and all kinds of pain physically, but more importantly, pain emotionally. And then we're going to hear about how Jesus wants to do the same thing for us. Bring your pain, bring your, bring your hurts, bring them to God, and then God, God's going to help you. And, and what we end up doing is we close ourselves off to the whole rest of the message because we automatically assume everything that's going to happen. And we miss out on everything that God might have wanted to tell us. There are few times that I pay attention to a story I've heard as a kid when I don't end up seeing something new that I didn't see before. And that's because I'm giving it room in my life to show me something I haven't yet seen before. That's when they talk about the Word of God is living and active. But is it living and active in us is the question that we need to answer. Sometimes we come into an environment and we section off a part of our life. We'll let God speak to us about all of these different things. We'll let God speak to us about this area of life and that area of life. But when it starts talking about forgiveness and forgiving other people, we want forgiveness, don't we? It's a little harder to forgive other people. We don't want to hear that. So what we do is we we section off that area of our life and we don't give God's word room to work in us. And as a result, we'll leave an environment like this wondering if God ever showed up. And the truth is God was there the whole time, but we didn't give it room. We didn't give him room to work in our life. Continues. It says, Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. Now, initially, I see this more from the provider side of things. So in children's ministry, when we're teaching kids about God's word and about God's love for them, we don't try to flood them with a ton of information that gets them confused and they end up going home and mom and dad say, so what did you learn in church? I don't know, I just got candy. Like We don't, we don't want that to happen. So we, we, in a sense, really, really focus on one aspect of things, something that they can digest so when they go home it sticks with them. It's important for you to understand that it's no different here. It's no different here. One of the compliments that people have of Joy Christian Center and specifically Pastor Brian is that Pastor Brian's just so easy to listen to. And the things that he talks about are things that I'm actually dealing with in my life. And it's like, "Really? That's the way it's supposed to work. Why is it that people that attend churches for years come back and compliment joy christian center on that one aspect it's because so many churches when they present the gospel it's confusing it's like they don't even know what they're supposed to do with what they just heard so from the provider aspect it's our job to make what what we're talking about easy for you to understand otherwise what's the point right what's the point If if it doesn't impact your life in any way, then really we could have been just talking about football. and Just let everyone go on their way. Make it good common sense. Then it goes on and says, and sing, sing your hearts out to God. Now, there's some things I want to touch on regarding this, and I don't want you to feel like I'm stepping on your toes. Because it could be taken that way. What I'm trying to convey to you or what I want you to take away is is that this is a way of encouraging us to maybe take a step further than where we're at, okay? So if you need to buckle yourself in your seat, whatever, you know, do that as you want. But take this as an encouragement, okay? So on a Sunday morning for about the last year and a half, if I'm not... Speaking on that Sunday, I am back in the tech booth, overseeing the tech booth. It's one of my responsibilities, and and I have a great joy in doing that. And just want to thank all of you that serve in the tech booth. Can we give them a hand? So my Sunday morning experience when I'm in the tech booth is maybe different than yours because we're standing a little elevated, and and I can see all of you. And so I want to kind of let you know what I see from my perspective, and then we're going to go from there, okay? Just keep your buckles buckled. Um, your seat, but never, anyway. So this is what I see. So the lights come down, you know, the first, first song starts, and it's generally a praise song, a clapping song. And you heard this service, Pat said, you know, let's clap our hands. So we're clapping. and. But, but here's what I see. Again, this is from my perspective. A lot of us are just like... And, and you might be singing. I can't, I can't see your faces. I'm just, just saying what, what I'm seeing. Many of us are just like this. And, and I'll tell you why this is the case. Because when we came in here, we brought the real world with us. We brought... Everything that happened this last week, everything that happened yesterday with us. I was in my closet yesterday, and this whole shelf that I didn't put up, that was there before we moved in, all of a sudden collapses. I'm like, God, I don't have time to fix my closet. Are you kidding me right now? This was very frustrating. And so to fix it, I wanted to fix it in a way that I didn't create more holes. if, If, you know... I don't like looking at holes and like, yep, there should have been something there. Should have been something there. But it broke. And, you know, on August 4th, 2018, this, you know. So we bring all those moments with us. Some of you might have realized you got two different shoes on this morning. You're like, oh, my gosh. And so when we start our worship set, it can sometimes just be like, we're trying to flush a lot of that stuff away, right? trying to flush that stuff away. Then the lights get a little bit lower, and then we start singing like a more worshipful song, not praise song, but more worshipful song. And then I gradually see, from my perspective, visually speaking, more people get engaged. There's some people raising their hands, more people singing, and sometimes that's the result of the lights going lower. And I want you to know that's intentional. Because if you think the lights are always on you, don't sometimes just... You, like, pretend you're not here, you know? But when the lights are lower, it helps us to engage more. So people start doing that. And then the third song hits. And then all kinds of people are engaged in worshiping and praising God. Oh, the reckless You know, I don't, I don't know all the words unless they're in front of me. So we're just singing that song. And 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 many of you are like, you know, there's no mountain you want, you know, and you're you're just going after it and you're you're getting there, and it's like, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden, a minute later, it's all done. Sit down, be quiet, and I'll listen. I wonder what would happen if we started where we finished. If we started where we finished that doesn't mean that real life doesn't happen. That doesn't mean that the world doesn't happen and that your kids weren't fighting on your way to church and that the check-in process either went great or not or your kids, ah, mama! Like, daddy, you know, I've, I've been there. But what if our attitude and our heart of worship didn't start when the band first, came, but we were already there before it ever took place? What if our experience of God happened at minute one or before the service ever started? Where could we go in our worship of God? Does that make sense? So when it says sing, sing your hearts out to God. Don't wait till the third song to finally get engaged. Let her rip right away. And the truth is, the more you just let go and let it rip, the the quicker the things of this world will dissipate from you. We are created to worship. We are not created to be worshipped. That's that's a careful distinction. We are created to worship. What you worship is up to you. The most important thing that we are to worship is God. So when we get in this environment, let's get after it right away and not wait till, oh, the reckless love. It then goes on and says this, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way how I look at that is let what takes place in this environment impact the environment out there. And I'm not talking about just, yep, go go be a difference maker to your neighbor or go, go talk to your co-worker about God. I'm saying let what happens in this environment affect you when you're in that environment so that the things that happen in here aren't left at the door or left at your seat, that you actually take them with you. One of the things that's mentioned periodically here at Joy is we want your Sunday to affect your Monday. And then Pastor Brian says, otherwise your Sunday doesn't count. Otherwise we just sat here and we just like, eh. you know, when someone asks you, hey, how was church? It was good. What, what happened? Uh, um, we talked about football. Let your Sunday affect your Monday. Now, here's a great piece of this whole thing. I get to hear from many of you that that is happening in your life, hearing testimonies and stories of, of people coming and sharing wow, this happened in my life. This this changed me. This impacted me. And it's a wonderful thing to hear. And you can see the joy in people's faces when they're actually letting what's happening in here affect them out there. And I want to let you know it can be true for all of us. But there's a part we play in that. So we need to ask ourselves at what point are we lacking? Is it letting God's word be the first and foremost thing or is it not letting it have any room to operate in our life maybe we're not letting the practical teaching that takes place in here impact us and I want to let you know as far as young people teenagers are concerned what happens in here is not over your head it's not over your head this is easy enough stuff for you to apply to your life whether you're sleeping in till 10 a.m. or whether you're going to school. Don't just sit there next to your parents and think it's just for mom and dad. It's for you. It's for you. So let it impact your life or maybe we just need to get after it when we're singing. I love when I'm seeing the drummer and they got just at that point in the song, they're just hitting the snare and they're praising and worshiping God with their other hand. they're they're getting after it. I've I've been in the tech booth where I'm seeing people not only concerned about hitting the next button, but they're experiencing God during worship. It's like, praise God for those moments. Because it's not just about hitting a drum. It's not just about hitting a button. Amen? It's letting what happens here impact out there. So where are you lacking, and what adjustments can you make so that when you leave this place, It's an experience you hold on to for the rest of your life. It's a story you share for years to come because of what happened in here. Knowing God, knowing God is so incredibly important. And that's our passion for Sunday morning services. We say we want people to know God and we believe the primary way that happens is in an environment like this. We want you to know God. We want you to know God because knowing God actually helps you figure out who you are. As you get to know God more, you get to know yourself more and as a result, life changes for you. There's a little thing I want to read that kind of perfectly describes this need for humankind to know God. And I want you to pay attention because the words of it are very strong and very impactful. It says this, the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. God is not some mystery. If we open our eyes, we're going to see him. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has an excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, Refusing to worship Him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. Worse followed, refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. I want you to chew on that a little bit. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women and men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men, all lust, no love, and then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches since they didn't bother to acknowledge god god quit bothering them and let them run loose and then all hell broke loose rampant evil grabbing and grasping vicious backstabbing they made life hell on earth and sorry with their envy wanton killing bickering and cheating look at them mean-spirited venomous fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inviting, inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face. And they don't care. Worse They hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. They hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. Now, I don't have to ask this. I'm just going to say it. Does that not, or it does, sorry, describe humankind right now? Perfectly, word for word the desperate need that people have to know God. Because by refusing to know God, we lose sight of what it's like to be humankind. We lose sight of who we are if we don't know who God is. You see, the idea is this. The the biggest question that people are asking right now is who am I, who am I, who am I? To answer that question, we need to start with who is the I am? Who is God? If we start with God, we then figure out who we are. We find out and know who God is, then you will know yourself. Now this isn't something that was penned by some writer or someone that wrote something just recently looking at the world today. What I read you was found in Romans chapter one because it perfectly described the condition of humankind then. And it perfectly describes the condition of humankind today. You know why? Because the need to know God is no different. The need to know God is no more important now than it was then. And that is why a Sunday morning experience just like this is so important, not only for you, but for your family. Not only for your family, but your neighbors. Not only for people you know, but for people you don't know. Because if they don't know God, they end up not knowing themselves. It's worth coming here and saying, God, I'm going to take responsibility to make sure I experience you today. Because I know where two or three of us are gathered, there you are. And I'm going to let what takes place in here on Sunday affect my Monday. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads, I'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that in the midst of the sinful state of humankind You sent Your Son to rescue us. You sent Your Son so that He could pay the penalty for our sins and our mistakes so that we can experience You. Lord, I pray that we would not just focus on the experiences we've had with You last year or five years ago, that we would focus on what you want to do in us today, in this moment. Lord, you will always have more for us. And because of that, we pray that we will be open and ready to experience you in those times. Lord, I pray that we would make the decision to make your word, your message, first and foremost in our lives, that we would give it room to work Lord, that we would take the practicality of the teachings of the words written in the Bible and apply it to our life. Lord, may we sing with everything that we have and may we let what happens on Sunday impact our Monday. Pray that you would give us a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. And Lord, I pray tomorrow when we get up, We will think about today. We'll think about the decisions we made in this environment. And may that impact the decisions then that we make going forward. In your glorious and holy name. Amen.